The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our first reading is from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Let us listen to God's word. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you if your child asked for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asked for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything you do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. And my friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join us now for week three of our summer sermon series, Practices of Faith and Sanity. Welcome Dr. Jenkins, who shares this week's message, When Life Tumbles In, The Practice of Gratitude. Good morning. It was a Saturday morning, as I recall, five years ago, 
The only thing untypical about this particular Saturday was that I didn't have to travel somewhere to speak that weekend. I was enjoying a morning at home. As usual, I spent some time in meditation inside the house, after which I went to the kitchen, made some tea, went out onto the back deck to drink it and to continue in quiet reflection for a while. It was quiet. A breeze blowing, the sun was warm. After a while, I decided to meditate again. That morning, I suppose I must have been feeling sad, and I must have taken that sadness into meditation with me. I'm convinced that prayer and meditation are the best places to take our sadness, our anger, disappointment, and sorrow. We can leave them in the presence of God and walk away unburdened. From a purely psychological perspective, I've found that if you will allow yourself to take into your meditation fully, consciously, whatever it is you're feeling, hold it there lightly, lay it in the flowing river of your consciousness and refuse to re-energize those feelings with narratives. Even the fiercest angers fade away in a couple of minutes. Some years ago, I was teaching a course on meditation and prayer in which I explained that simple dynamic. After the session, my wife Debbie asked me, so, even if I am furious with someone, I can take that anger at that person into meditation, right? I said, yes. Okay, and I can place that anger in the river, maybe even imagine I'm laying that person I'm angry with in the river. Sure, I said. Well, Debbie had been pretty angry earlier that morning about someone cutting her off in traffic, as I remember. So I thought I knew where she was coming from. I didn't appreciate, however, fully where she was going with it. Well, Debbie continued, Could I maybe hit that person over the head with something really heavy before I lay them in the river? Or maybe I could just hold them underwater for a while until the bubbles stop coming up and then release them into the river. I looked into the lovely blue eyes of my bride and I said, I'm not really sure you're getting the gist of meditation. Anyway. On that particular Saturday morning five years ago, sitting on our back deck, I was surely taking whatever sadness I felt into meditation, and I was trying to leave it there, holding it lightly, learning from it, but refraining from feeding it with narratives and memories and other thoughts that would keep reinforcing the feelings. I don't know how long I had been sitting in meditation, but something unusual happened. From that openness, the emptiness of my mind, I began to see something emerging like a, like a huge, swirling galaxy in the emptiness of space. I enjoy reading news stories about astrophysics and am fascinated by the discoveries we continue to make, so it's really not surprising that I would visualize such a thing. In the darkness of my mind, star systems and gases made their way slowly around this great yawning center of the galaxy, and it seemed as though I was looking down into the black hole into which whole worlds were disappearing. 
what if there were living beings disappearing into that black hole, I thought. The whole current of life and existence seemed to play out in front of me. Impermanence, change, birth, death, things coming into being for just an instant, only to disappear into that darkness. The galaxy before me turned and turned around that black hole, and in my mind, there came a phrase. The universe has no regard. Just that phrase. The universe has no regard. It does not care. From supernovas to microorganisms, nature does not take us or our feelings into account. Whole star systems are swallowed up by a massive black hole together with whatever organisms might or might not have evolved there. Viruses all around us replicate and evolve and change without any respect to whom they infect. In meditation, one sits with whatever thoughts arise. One does not judge the thoughts. One examines the thoughts without judgment until they move along, as they inevitably will. So I sat with this image, these thoughts, and became aware that sadness was indeed present also in my feelings, and I just sat there observing those feelings as well. Our minds are complex, and I have no clue as to how they work, but after a few moments, a face came to my imagination. It was the face of our second granddaughter, little Clara, then three years old. Clara turns eight in a couple of weeks. She'd want me to tell you. Her face came to mind exactly as I most often see her, with a smile that radiates pure love. Thinking of that smile right now, that's what I see. Love. The love of a child who knows she is loved. Well, I sat with that face before me in my mind's eye. And in a little while, I opened my eyes and I sat with that memory. And then something else came to mind that I hope I never forget. The universe may indeed be without regard, but a universe in which Clara's smile can exist cannot be without love. Every time I think of this, my heart swells a little. If you ask me today what my creed is, I would say that this is a fair summary. The universe may be without regard, but a universe in which Clara's smile can exist cannot be without love. In 1927, the Reverend John Arthur Gossip, the beloved minister of the Beech Grove Church in Aberdeen, Scotland, received word that his wife, whom he had only a few days before waved to as she boarded a train to Edinburgh for a brief trip, had suddenly died. She'd not been ill. It was totally unexpected. She was staying with friends, having a grand time, and suddenly she became gravely ill 
and died. She was dead by the time Reverend Gossip, 54 years old at the time, received word of her illness. He was shattered by sudden grief. An eccentric figure, to say the least, around his large Aberdeen parish, often seen walking along the sidewalks wearing his floppy fishing hat, even in his ministerial collar and dark suit, Reverend Gossip did what few would recommend. The very next Sunday, he climbed up the stairs in that hallowed pulpit, which before him had thundered with sermons by Gossip's illustrious predecessors, H.R. McIntosh and James S. Stewart. And in his profound grief, Gossip preached what would become one of the most often anthologized sermons in history. When life tumbles in, then what? As a young assistant minister in that same church, the Beech Grove Church of Aberdeen, I had often heard Gossip's story, and I had read his sermon. He encouraged his congregation in the midst of his sorrow to remember that the gospel isn't just for sunny days when everything goes according to our wishes, but it's also for those times when life falls apart. The God of the gospel will be there waiting for us when we also walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In the happy times, we practice a faith we will need when life tumbles in. And of this, we can be sure it will tumble in. As the Trappist monk Thomas Merton once said, sooner or later, we all get the treatment. Although I knew Gossip's story and his sermon, for me, like so many things then, they remained abstractions, an old story and a classic sermon until, that is, our family's third year in Aberdeen, 1990, when my wife, Debbie, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, before I say another word, let me assure you that although the cancer was very aggressive, she recovered fully in time with extraordinary medical care, both here in the States and in Scotland. But when she first received the diagnosis during a routine physical exam, although she remained calm, I felt utterly undone. For me, faith has never come easy. I'm a doubter by nature. One of life's I'll believe it when I see it sorts. After the surgery that removed the mass of her cancer, I sat up all night in an uncomfortable recliner in her hospital room. I don't recall why, but the only book I had with me that night was the old Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. I guess I had it with me because I had committed to praying the Psalms daily and it happened to be in my pocket. Praying the Psalms was a practice that became regular for me, both in and out of my seasons of doubt. And that night, that night a remarkable thing happened that I couldn't have predicted and I think it confirmed Gossip's sermon for me. The faith we practice and sometimes take for granted in the good times is the same faith that will hold us through the bad. That long night, while our two children slept at their grandparents' house, I read that book of common prayer from cover to cover to cover again. At the beginning of the night, there was this one particular prayer I could not bring myself to pray. I remember this clearly. 
But as the sun came up that next morning after wrestling all night long, I found in that prayer exactly the assurance I needed to go on. And I prayed it, as opposed to merely reading it for the first time. The prayer goes like this. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us to thy never-failing care and love for this life and the life to come, knowing that thou art doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Amen. A few days later, I drove Debbie to her parents' home. It was just the two of us in the car. I remember telling her now how frightened I was that she would die, but that after sitting up reading the prayers and psalms, I finally had prayed this prayer and realized I meant it. The anxiety had somehow melted away. She then told me that she felt the most absolute peace in the eye of the storm, and that no matter what treatment awaited her, no matter what the outcome, she was at peace. I still marvel at what happened to us both in those days because the peace we received was not tied to the outcome we most desired. Ask, seek, knock. By all means, ask, seek, knock. But whatever we receive and whatever we find and whichever door is open to us will be at the hands of one who can be trusted to do for us better things than we can desire or pray for. The practice in which we will engage this week is the practice of gratitude. And it begins by not taking life for granted but by awakening to the life we are living. Mark Epstein, the psychiatrist I mentioned in last week's sermon, tells a story of a much-anticipated cup of tea to which he had been looking forward for days. Now, this is the kind of experience that you can really appreciate if you've ever participated in a rigorous spiritual retreat. My, my first retreats were with Trappist monks. I consider them the Marines of spirituality. But Dr. Epstein's retreat was in a Buddhist retreat center, same difference. He had been engaging in an ascetic practice for days, in silence, drinking water, eating sparsely, and he had been looking forward to the day when he could sit quietly at the end of the retreat and enjoy a cup of green tea. When the day came, he brewed his tea. He added honey, and he sat down to enjoy it. But within minutes, he became distracted, thinking about things he needed to do when he got back home and to work, worrying about things that he might have left undone. He was carried along by his thoughts until he came to himself, looked down, and his cup of tea had been drunk. The cup was empty. He said that his first thought was, who drank my tea? The practice of gratitude is grounded in being attentive to life 
while we are living it. Let's practice gratitude this week, giving thanks for it all and everything in particular, for every blessed moment of life. Let's decide this week that we do not want to be lying on our deathbeds asking, who drank my tea? Our closing prayer is the prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which I only learned to pray when in one of those moments when life tumbled in, I learned not to take for granted. I was standing outside the house one day, looking up at the sky. My mother walked up to me. We'd been traveling. I, it was one of those great days. I mean, just, it's a normal day. It was cool, a little breeze blowing the pine trees were shifting around. I looked up at the blue sky and I was just beaming, smiling. I don't know why. My mother said to me, what are you looking at smiling like that? And I said, it's just so beautiful. She said, it doesn't take much to make you happy, does it? Well, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, existence, being, those weird creatures that crawl around on the sidewalk all around us that we have to maneuver around. It's all beautiful. And this week, I pray that we'll all notice it. Every bit of it. Every blessed bit of it. And now may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.